Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to the 10th Street Journal podcast, episode number five. My name is Alan, also known as Dragosi, and we have a small crew this week. First off, we got Braxton. Coach, what up? How's it going? Going pretty good. I'm glad to be back. I know I took last podcast off because I was busy, but glad to be on this week. Yeah, glad to have you. Cool. We got a lot of cool stuff to talk about. And last but not least, we got John Ramos, MTG. What up, John? How's it going, man? Going good. Can't wait to talk about the whole spoiler and Mythic Invitational. Yeah, we got some really cool things to talk about today. Before we get to that, I uh, do want to shout out our first sponsor. First sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by HE Games. They are a local game store here in the northern Chicagoland area. And they're going to be uh, our first sponsor and our sponsor for our tournaments, which we will talk about a little bit later in the podcast. But big thanks to them. Um, we will have links in the description box. So if you're looking for singles and you're looking to buy from a really great store, uh, we will definitely uh, recommend you get over to those guys, show them some love, pick up some stuff from them. They got a lot of cool stuff coming up. So uh, be stay, definitely stay tuned for that. Check those links. But let's get into it today. Um, our first, uh, we're going to be covering, so we have the full Zendikar Rising spoilers, which are coming up here uh, very soon. Release is happening this coming week uh, with the early access event happening as well this week too. So we you know definitely want to talk about some of the awesome new cards from the uh, new set coming up here, what we're looking to do with them. Uh, next, we're going to talk about Mythic Invitational. It's actually happening right now in the Mythic Qualifier Weekend. Zendikar Rising Qualifier Weekend is happening right now. And we have some things to talk about in the in terms of those events. And then we are also going to be talking about, again, like I mentioned earlier, our tournament series that we're going to be doing as well, too. We got some more stuff happening with that, and we're very excited to share with all of you about that as well, too. So... First thing here, let's just jump into it. Um, I guess, or I guess before we also get started, make sure you check out the website here, 10 streetjournalcom Also, make sure that you are checking out the YouTube, uh, you know, 10 Street News, uh, where we post our daily content uh, for or just our video content. John does a lot of the content over there as well. We post the podcasts as well as other news related videos go up there as well, too. So, definitely make sure you're checking that out as well. All right, let's get into it, guys. So, Zendikar Rising spoilers, full sets here. Release is happening on Arena this Thursday, so in in about four days from the time of this uh, recording, if I, yep, four days, uh, with the early access event happening on the 16th, the day beforehand, right? So um, let's talk about some, some cards here. Um, I guess, Braxton, let's start off with you. What's one of your first cards that you're excited about um, in Zendikar Rising? Um, if I'm going to say one card i think it has has to be the ancient green warden cool I mean, um, we'll, we'll definitely go th- we'll go through all of them but yeah, we'll I just want to like you know we'll cycle through everybody's uh card so the first one here ancient green warden okay so let's pull this uh, guy up here on the uh, on the screen yeah just while you find him just if i'm picking one card i'm definitely picking i'm not picking a reprint and I've always enjoyed playing land strategies, mm. and this guy is just just does everything you want in a land strategy. Yep. So absolutely. Like, so for those of you guys looking at the screen here, and those who don't know or listening to the audio version of the podcast, Ancient Green Warden is a uh, a six mana, so four and two green for a five seven elemental creature. Uh, it has reach, and it says you may play lands from your graveyard, and then if a land entering the battlefield would cause an ability. Uh, you control to trigger that ability. Ability triggers an additional time, so basically like a Panharmonicon 
for lands, kind of like a Yarok sort of feel. Um, so, okay, cool. So what are, you, what are you looking to do with this guy? What's the abilities that you're looking to abuse um, having lands come into play? Uh, degenerate stuff, if we're being honest. Um, <laughs> so my top, so if I'm giving it the deck that I'm going to be playing day one, hopefully, um, has three cards that are the core of it are all from Zendikar. So okay. it's looking to combo Ancient Green Warden and Lotus Cobra alongside Nahiri's Lithoforming. Okay. Uh, to basically, like, because Ancient Green Warden and Nahiri's Lithoforming turns it into just draw X cards in green-red. And Green Warden and Lotus Cobra gets you a lot of mana. So basically just trying to go through my deck doing this. Um, I have a whole deck list. Uh, with the end win con of flinging a Rada who has Rada Heart of Keld who has the power and toughness uh, upped by her ability, but deck looks really sweet. I saw it on Twitter. I wish, wish I could tell you who posted it. I would love to give credit. This is not an original deck for me, but it's really sweet. I can't wait to try it out. But and I just hope it has legs. Uh, it is like I said, it's a combo deck, it's a ramp deck, so hopefully, it has the ability to do what I want to. Awesome, yeah, we'll definitely look to see if we can scour the Twitterverse to see if we can find who had posted that list. Uh, we'll definitely give credit where credit is due on that one. That's that seems like a really sweet one. Cool, awesome. So, that's that's one, and we did, I guess, we did kind of touch on your your three cards a little bit, but we'll go into them in a little bit more detail here, um, as we cycle through. Um, but John, what's your what's the first card that you're really excited about for Zendikar Rising? I'm actually going to go in reverse order. So I'm going to go with my number three and go kind of like ramping up to number one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, number three is Maul of the Skyclaves. And Maul I'm kind of cheating. The... Yeah, mm -hmm. Maul of the Skyclaves is a three mana, one white, two colorless artifact equipment. Equipment. Okay, when Maul of the Skyclaves enters the battlefield, attach it to target creature you control. Equip creature gets plus two, plus two, and has flying and first strike. Equip two colorless, one R and two white. Uh, kind of find it's it a rare. The, trying to find it on the way. Oh, there um, it is. Maul of the Skyclaves. Yeah. So I'm kind of cheating here and actually using, uh, using Maul as uh of the skyclaves and saying all the equipment i think are good but i think this is the best one of the set and the reason why is because of the i don't really care too much about the plus two plus two as much as the flying so giving yeah. all of your one drops and two drops in the board because boros is going to be a deck i just don't know what's going to be in it but maul is going to be in it nahiri is going to be in it and along with embercleave and then your your best one and two drops but giving one of your one or two drops, plus two, plus two, first strike is good. But giving it flying and you don't have to spend any investment other than casting the maul uh, and it automatically attaches is what is so drawing to specifically this equipment. Mm. And then if you're able to give it the Embercleave and having Nahiri and all of those with this, uh, the equipment is going to be very, very good, and, and this go around, uh, and before the the um, 
the swords and all those where you have to actually spend three mana to cast, three mana to equip. Uh, this gets around that, and you're already having better creatures with your equipment. So this one I'm really excited for because I want to play with it mm. to see if Boros is actually good enough this time around. And with Nahiri and the equipment and the, the good one-drops that they have, I'm pretty sure that this is actually going to be good. So I'm really excited to play with the uh, equipments and the, uh, the Boros yeah. archetype for once. Yeah. I can definitely see it being a really strong archetype for sure. Um, something, you know, again, fairly consistent. Um, and uh, one of the, like, for example, one of the articles that was written on the website um, by one of our guys, uh, Stormcrow uh, TS, he, he wrote kind of like uh, jumping into like a new standard, like a post-rotation or a new rotational standard, um, wanting to go with something a little bit more like, you know, aggro, low to the ground, fairly consistent. Seems like this is going to be one of those uh, one of those strategies. So very cool. Definitely excited to see how uh, how that turns out. Um, so my first card that I'm super excited for is going to actually be Omnath, Locus of Creation. Uh, I love Omnath a lot. I made uh, a, th a Locus of Omnath, Locus of the Royal um, Commander deck. Uh, I play Omnath. Uh, I played Elementals in Standard for a while. Like it, it's a very very cool card. I definitely enjoy this a ton. Um, so Omnath, uh, Locus of Creation is red, green, white, blue for 4-4. Four, four. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card, which is pretty pretty nice all in and of itself. Uh, Landfall, whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you gain 4 life. If it's This is the first time this ability is resolved this turn. If it's the second time, add red, green, white, blue to your mana pool. And then if it's the third time, it deals 4 damage to each opponent and each planeswalker you don't control. So it's definitely kind of like this commander card for sure. Like it's going to be a very good commander card um, given that it can hit all opponents. But I definitely think that playing with this creature in a, you know, I, and I think more more so I think historic is really going to be the place to, to abuse this guy because um, you have access to a couple of other really powerful ramp spells in uh, Grow Spiral and Explore. But getting this guy out, like the hardest part about casting the spell is resolving the spell because you can you can fix your mana so easily with things like you know we mentioned earlier Lotus Cobra being one of uh, being a, a very powerful mana fixing uh, and ramp uh, utility and you're already going to be playing base green blue already you have Uro um, Explore Grow Spiral things like that to really push out the damage and then getting three lands into play in a turn is really not that difficult um, you know being able to uh, you know I guess on turn five or whatever turn four play a land for turn and then play our promise and get two more lands and you trigger your all all three of your omnath abilities and you they all they're all going to resolve you're going to deal four you're going to gain four so they're eight point life swing and you get four more mana in addition to that so like there's a ton that you can do with this um and even if like for example like you're going to be on your opponent's turn you can you know somehow you can somehow sneak lands into play with things like um, uh, uh, Fabled Passage, uh, Field of Ruin, and Growth Spiral as well too. Just at instant speed, being able to get more lands down. Uh, you can trigger this thing on your opponent's turns. Very, very strong card. I think it's going to be super, super cool for Brawl as well as just Commander. But then also, I think again, it's going to have. Uh, I think it's going to have legs potentially in Historic. Um, and uh, for Standard, it should be also very powerful. I think too, because we still do have. You know, we're going to have Lotus Cobra. We're going to have Uro still in the format for a little while so i think this is going to be one to look out for this will be easy to cast i oh, already yeah. had 
made a list with the in standard with the triomes and it like getting all your colors is not going to be as hard as people think it will be this will be easily cast yeah i mean our mana in this in this upcoming standard is going to be pretty darn good um so yeah i mean and we'll we'll touch on that a little bit here um in a minute but cool yeah so that's that's my first one um braxton what's your second one what's your second card um that you want to talk about <clears throat> so i said everything to the deck um but one that i had brought up let me find the name of it because i can never remember the name of the card it's the blue flips into a land three mana instant look at the top six get a instant uh so yes thank you i know we talked about it when you and i were in chat earlier and then i forgot wait, wait, wait. it because oh okay here we go yeah uh Solundi vision okay yeah this card to me just it's not going to be the card in a control deck where you're going to win the game off of the raw card advantage this gives you. However, looking six cards deep to find your sweeper, or like later in the game if your win con is spell-based, mm -hmm. which maybe it's possible to be a spell-based win con, in which you do this and find it, or you can look six cards deep to find a counterspell. Just some of the stuff that this gives you the ability to do. Um, is real key for me, I think, in this upcoming standard. Yeah, definitely. And I can even see some, like, really cool um, applications in, say, like, for example, Historic, right, with uh, Approach of the Second Sun. Um, if you, with this being an instant speed, like, you know, you, you, you cast your first first approach on your next turn, you build on Division, and you find your approach. Uh, because you've drawn a card for the turn, you've passed, and at the end of your opponent's turn, you Solendi Vision, and you untap and cast your net, your your second approach, right? Like usually, like when with approach, like looking for cards or having cards that dig really, really deep is really powerful. So right, like things like um, Dig Through Time, or um, I guess it, it didn't really get to see a whole, but like things like Drawn from Dreams or something like that, where you're just like digging down to 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 find cards to you know to find your key spell. Like this is just going to be. This might bring back like a blue white um like approach um strategy in, in historic or a Jeskai one or something like that, right? Yeah, but it'd be really cool. I'm I'm curious what people are gonna do with this one. This definitely seems really, really strong. For three mana too, it's like wow, that's a lot of uh it's a lot of advantage. Yeah, and I actually hadn't even thought about I've looked at all these cards and tried to stay in standard because that's where the this is gonna be the most fresh, most new and whatnot. Yeah. But yeah, historic like approach. This is really good because I remember playing standard approach, and I was playing um, pull from tomorrow as my way to get deep. Oh yeah, to get to it the next turn, and this is way easier because you get to just hold up other cards. Yeah, after you find it, that's yeah, just huge. hold up counter magic or whatever, right? Yeah. Not only that, you can also get value out of it with say uh, crucible worlds where you cast it. And then Crucibles allows you to play lands. Um, it doesn't say put it, a land into play. So when you cast this, since it's a land on the backfield, since it's out in the graveyard, it only matters if you're searching where the front side only matters. So you can play this from the graveyard with Crucible Worlds. So that can also be a consideration uh, in Historic specifically yeah, that with all these spell lands. Like, because a lot of times, like, you can get in spots in control decks where, like, or like like mid rangey decks where you just have to find a land, so like not having to give up a spell per se to find a land is huge because you just like play this, replace it, and then you just make it your land drop 
that's actually I hadn't looked into the rules yet of these modal cards, these land yeah. flip cards, but that's a huge ability. I'm looking oh, yeah, it looks like so yeah, this was confirmed on Twitter um by uh Matt Tabak from from Wizards of the Coast. Someone asked um about a question about the DFC modal cards from upcoming Zendikar Rising. Do the does Crucible Worlds allow you to play the land part of the card um since it modifies how you can play lands? I understand that Splendid Reclamation wouldn't. Thanks. Yes, if you're playing a modal DFC or a modal dual face card from any zone, you can check the face you're playing to see if it's legal. Put into Return to the Battlefield is not playing the front uh playing front face only. Um so so that would those would be playing front face only. But if it's something like you may you may play a land from your graveyard or you may play lands from your graveyard, so things like the Green Warden or yet like you mentioned Crucible of Worlds yeah, that's gonna it's gonna work. So that's actually a very powerful um, addition to potentially like some uh, maybe like Saltai or some green base, green blue base lands deck um, is gonna definitely want to look to play something like. That. Yeah, that's really powerful. Cool, good deal. John, what's your second card? My second card is a calm hellhound. It's hey. uh, the Step Links two point zero one red creature elemental dog. Landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, Akam Hellhound gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. This is a zero one creature. Um, those who have been playing a long time, like myself, remember Step Links in the OG Zendikar. Um, same style creature, except it was white and it yep. was a cat instead of an elemental dog. Um, I'm looking at Hellhound as the best one drop that we have seen since oh we'll say what was the best one like so the uh, reason why Monastery i think this swift is spear. probably swift spear um and not just in red but specifically red and that's because you're dealing with this you can this has a lot of combat trick synergies with not specific i mean obviously with lands but if you you want to get this into combat with you know scorching spitter and a lot of other one drops that were just like one ones or one twos you didn't really want to get them in combat hellhound you want to get in combat and it'll win most of the time and it being a red one drop which most of your and we'll get into this later with the flip lands um most of those lands have red in them so you can play this in almost any deck and in historic it gets even better uh, you can play a more low-to-the-ground aggro-style strategy with Gruul. Um, that's in that's a landfall strategy, or even just Gruul Smash. Uh, you can play this in Elementals, where it's more green-red-based with the uh, Creeping Trailblazer that gives all Elementals plus one, or plus one, plus zero, and also has some landfall with it with Risen Reef and the other Omnath the uh the teamer omnath mm -hmm. you can i want to try this in the boros feather deck that just posted to the site uh where you're playing a lot of red one drops and i don't have to play uh not as bad creatures like kiln fiend i can play this instead yeah and uh and play a lot more low to the ground and give this plus one plus one counters and still be able to use the landfall ability to give it plus two plus two so this is my go-to one drop for aggro uh, this is why I'm excited to play with this in mono red, in Boros equipment, in Boros anything. 
in any aggro deck that's playing red, you're going to play this, and you're going to play four of and you're going to be happy with it. And that's how good Steplix is. Unfortunately, the fetch lands aren't in, but you won't be upset with this playing with Fable Passage, uh, Field of Ruin, Evolving Wilds if you have to, but even just having, you know, hitting your land drops on time every turn and their untapped basics or whatever, it's still a 2-3. So you want to get this in and have combat tricks and and stuff like that so i'm i'm excited for hellhound what do you guys think about this guy yeah i'm super I excited yeah he seems think, really sweet i think the ability to be like the fact that a standard deck gets upsides from playing evolving wilds and gets benefit from just playing fable passage in a turn where they're not going to get it on is huge i think that's real big because you figure that's four damage on turn two. If you play either of those, that's that's real big for the deck, I think. Plus, just the fact that Evolving Wilds and Fable Passage get are essentially two lands for you means you draw less lands, which means you draw more gas. And in a mono red deck, that is very big, also. Yeah, I'm looking in standard for this to be in the uh, the gruel uh, the gruel strategy. And shout out to Titan Smash MTG, who posted a list that uses this uh, a come hellhound with uh, migratory greathound. Uh, the using the mutate creature to put lands into play, so you mutate onto this and then get us and then get a basic. So you're getting like a five seven or a seven nine on turn three to attack for seven. So it, you're <laughs> I'm powerful. telling you, you're gonna have some fun. With I, I can't wait to to use that migratory great horn and um and ember cleaves and just gruel's gonna be good so yeah. get ready yeah that's pretty insane that's really really powerful yeah very very excited about it yeah it's cool to see like I think the I think just in general like this is the best thinking about, I was thinking about to like what other one drop creatures this is probably the best one drop creature that we've seen since um uh night of the ebon legion. I think I think that that that's that's probably close to being probably on par with this creature, um, and that was a rare. And this is a common. So like, I think this is yeah, really really strong. Definitely uh, expect to see a lot of this creature forward. Um, cool. My my next card that I wanted to talk about here um, is Lithoform Engine. The so Lithoform Engine is a an artifact, four mana artifact. Uh, a legendary artifact and it has three different abilities on it so two and tap uh, copy target activated or triggered ability you control you may choose new targets for the copy three and tap copy target instant or sorcery spell you control you may choose new targets for the copy and then four and tap copy target permanent you control and the copy becomes a token so uh, this is one of the cards that again this is going to be probably just like a commander or brawl all-star um going to be almost in almost every single deck or that, that you would expect um and, and like for example um one like you, you actually can see down here at the bottom uh, one of the uh comments that's listed here on the mythic spoiler pages for brago which i love brago i've played a ton of brago in uh in the past and being able to copy the blink effect uh and you know resolve that twice like that's pretty insane um, also being able to do things with like field of the dead, uh, making a, a whole bunch of zombies, copying like land searching abilities or different tutors, 
making copies of your big, you know, of your big creatures to, uh, you know, get in there with like, there's just a lot of versatility with this, with this card where I don't know that this is necessarily something that fits in standard per se, um, or even in historic. I think this is purely a multiplayer card. There could be some cool combos that you might be able to pull off with kind of like the copy, the, uh, triggered or activated ability type, um, type deal, or maybe the spell, but yeah, so I think there's a lot of really cool potential with this. So we're very excited to explore this one. Um, I don't know. Have you guys thought about anything with this card at all? I'm not too sure. I think costing four is a little steep, especially for something that comes into play and doesn't do anything on the turn it hits play, especially in standard. Um going rate for cards and standard and historic are does it do anything the moment it hits play or if i untap with it is it usually spell game over so like uro the moment it hits play uh gives you all sorts of value and uh, the reason why fires of invention was banned is because the moment it hits play or if i untap with it uh the game's usually over I don't know that Lithoform Engine does it in Standard or Historic. I'm not saying it's bad, um, but costing four and me having to pay mana to it is a huge investment, and what are we doing with it that wins the game either on the spot or close to it at four mana or three mana or two mana to actually tap with it? It's interesting if you're playing like a mono mono blue with artifacts with it to use the corridor monitor to kind of like copy the enchant or copy the triggered ability of untapping artifacts and you know getting a bunch of cool combo synergies like that who but <laughs> you can also do that with the um nyx lotus you like get a bunch of mana do that and then copy the the triggered ability or the yeah the triggered ability of corridor monitor to untap a bunch of stuff but like it's still a lot of mana and it's still a lot of combo potential to it, but that would be the only thing I see with it other than yeah. um, I don't think you're playing this in any type of spell-based strategy with copy enchantment or sorcery spell that you control when you're already having to pay three for the effect. And then copying target permanent spell you control, four is a big ask for usually anything because now you have to double. It's basically paying a kicker cost and getting a copy of it. So yeah, I'm only looking at the two and i really don't this is more of a commander staple to me than anything else i'm not saying that you couldn't play this in standard or historic but i'm pretty sure that this was kind of like um what is that card uh rings rings of brightheart or brightheart or whatever yeah, that's like 70 yeah. 80 bucks right now or strionic resonator yeah All yeah and this kind of like just this basically does everything yeah and it seems i won't say strictly better but it's it's much better than those cards so and yeah, cheaper definitely i didn't even think about that actually we may not be able to play it now but when we get cards from um kaladesh put back into the game when we get paradoxical outcome um there may be a oh, world don't start no oh, there no, may be a no. world where we're basically playing like a build your own paradox engine with this and like corridor monitor like that's some that's pretty insane actually if you think about it right like triggers on the stack like tapping this copying a bunch of abilities like as long as you have a way to generate you know generate your mana like you could technically like go infinite i suppose with this with this and like corridor monitor like that's we seems, already have that that's the oh, right now this oh, i guess I, yeah gilded lotus 
Well, you you have it in standard already with the cards that we have. It's just really really What's difficult your... to to get going. Sure. Yeah, it's tricky yeah. to get to get going. Yeah, but I think like you need a payoff. Like you need a really really good payoff. And like I think it, get doing something like paradoxical storm, like getting to play storm again, would oh, be pretty insane. So yeah, I think this is yeah this is not a card right now for current existing standard. I'm probably gonna try to brew with it just to see what we can do. <laughs> But, you know, I think it's something that once we hit Kaladesh and we get more of those artifacts back in and we get the the payoffs, uh, this is going to be, I think, a, this could be a really strong card. So, cool. Braxton, what's your third card that you wanted to uh, to showcase and talk about here today? Uh, it's definitely... I've been, I've been kind of scrolling around because originally my top three were going to be those three from the deck I talked about. And then I said them all with my first one. Now I've been kind of scouring, trying to decide what I wanted my third one to be. I know what it is, and it's Nessa of Shadowed Bows. Is that how you say that last word? Yeah, I think so. Shadowed okay. Bows, yeah. Yeah. Um, four mana Planeswalker, four loyalty. Uh, I'll start with her abilities. Plus one, untapped target land you control. You may have it become a 3-3 elemental creature with haste and menace to end a turn. Still land. Uh, Neg 5. You may p put a creature card with converted mana cost less than or equal to the number of lands you control onto the battlefield from your hand or graveyard with two plus one plus one counters on it. Um, just on base, these abilities are really nice. Um, and can't forget the passive of landfall. Whenever a land enters battlefield, you put a loyalty counter on Nissa. So, like, uh, John and I were talking about it earlier. I think this Nissa is a better attacking, better aggressive Nissa, strictly in combat than Nissa who shakes the world. Just because the keyword, the change in the keyword of menace versus vigilance. Yes, it's not going to be permanently a land. Yet, thankfully, this isn't a mana doubler like Nissa who shakes the world. I couldn't stand Nissa, um, but. You get some fun stuff, like you can play this on turn 5, play your land, ult, and reanimate something, reanimate a 5-drop, like, or drop a 5-drop into play. That's, that's really huge. I think this card is very good. I think, they're, just because of what it offers, it offers, like, a, it's its own win con and it's plus 1. It's neg 5. Uh just like the value you get out of like like Pelucranos. You can like bring Pelucranos back and just fight down boards. Uh that's the first thing that comes to mind. Uh and then just landfall. If you are uptaking this Nissa and making your land drops, that's just that's essentially making her up to loyalty every turn. She won't she won't be easy to kill unless you give her up give up loyalty with an egg five, I feel. Just because how quickly her loyalty can go up. But it's not Nissa who shakes the world impossible to beat, which I like. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, one thing that you were we, that I was just thinking about, kind of as we were as you were talking about this. So like, if you were to say like play this on four as an example, right? Like you play this on four, you uptick your Nissa, and you make a creature. Okay, or you make a land creature. Cool. On your next turn, you can play your land, uptick it to five, uptick it to six. Minus five, put in Terror of the Peaks, and then use that same five mana to uh, that five mana to then play another Terror or to place like a Pelucranos or 
like you were saying. So like this, is, I think it, like Terror of the Peaks and, and Nissa feel like they kind of go hand in hand here. And so like maybe there's a world where like a Jund Monsters type deck um, becomes really, really strong. Like I know that back in the original um, Theros block, kind of like Jund Monsters was, or, or it was either Jund or Gruul Monsters was like a really, really strong um, deck back then. And I think that there's a lot of potential to make that happen now. Like the big, the big kind of downside with Terror of the Peaks is that you never, you had to invest a ton of mana into him to, like you had to play him fairly late in the game to be able to really like effectively double spell to use his ability. So like, you know, being able to say go turn four Nissa, turn five, minus five to put him in and then put in and then play another creature on top of that to effectively double spell is super strong. I'm looking just to be just a Sultai file with this. Because there's there's too much there's too many good green green creatures right now in the uh in the mid-range house. And the and the mana seems better to me. Mm. Um where you're using Uro, you're using uh Elder Grogroth and just these big dumb green, blue, black creatures that Nissa is just every time you keep playing lands you up the loyalty and you just keep putting uh bigger creatures on and playing them from your hand or playing them from the graveyard or whatever and the plus one is kind of like your your <laughs> you're like your secondary tertiary plan of getting loyalty on this planeswalker i don't think you ever i think it's a very very rare case that you're playing this on four i think you want to play this on five so I do like the idea of terror though. I didn't think about that where you play this on tap with it, cast terror, and then minus five and put uh a five drop from your hand onto the battlefield. A, you could put a, um, a gar or elder yeah, gar gar -gar play or something. Yeah. Um you can put um per peripheros. Um putting croaks into place huge. Like uh croaks yeah, he goes away. But at six damage with the terror. That's kind line. of insane because now you <laughs> Croxa and, and Terror. That's a Croxa lot of damage. Croxa and Terror, and they have to discard a card. Like, yeah, that seems oh dumb. boy, that seems really dumb. Wow. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited. Like, there was some um, who was it? Somebody had posted like a really sweet. Oh no, it was a uh, it was a uh, um an a, a, an Asian Avenger list that was posted on Goldfish that was for just a Jund mid range um deck for Historic. It was a very you know. Very simple curve out with, you know, Shovel, Rada, um, Blue Kronos, things like that, right? Like, I think this slots, like, very cleanly into that deck, and we get to play it in standard because there's just so many, like you were saying, powerhouse mid-range creatures. I, I also wonder, too, if the, man if the mana is good enough to be able to cast something like an Omnath very quickly, is the mana good enough to be able to play four color and just omit white and just play, you know, you get to play Uro and you get to play all like the terrors and stuff like because the teamer version of like elementals um was playing terror but also was playing genesis ultimatum which kind of seemed like like it was just like you're very like your i win the game thing with terror like maybe we're not going that like quite that crazy but like is the the mana good enough to be able to say like splash for splash blue for something like uro if you're gonna I'll... splash if you're gonna splash a color it's only gonna be for you know your your mid-range strategy. Uro is the only card that I can see that you're splashing to to st 
stave off the early aggression so that you can mm. get your your combos off and that would be the only reason to see me splashing a fourth color in any in any deck that's a three color base john does a little bit different in that it doesn't have a triumph to support it mm-hmm. so i'm Having a little worried about the mana time. yeah I'm I'm not, I'm a little worried about the mana, but I'm not as worried about it when you have multiple triomes in your deck and you have Lotus Cobra and you have Uro. Uh, the, the color doesn't matter, but the but the sheer reason why it's probably balanced and quote unquote balanced is because all the mana that you're using is all coming to play tapped. So it's going to be awkward. It's going to be like playing Gates from the uh, Return to Ravnica, uh, Guilds of Ravnica and uh, Ravnica Allegiance. When you were playing Gates, everything came into play on tap or tapped. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very excited to work with, uh, with this Nissa. Actually, now, now that we've kind of talked about it a little more, like I, I didn't really give it much thought prior to literally just right now. Uh, I'm now super, super excited to play this because, uh, I, I love Terror of the Peaks. I think that 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 card is. I've when I built, I built a Jun deck uh, in Historic before. Um, even I think before Amonkhet even came out, right? So like, but before Amonkhet released, uh, maybe even before Jumpstart released, and I was like, Terror and Terror of the Peaks won me so many games off of uh, just playing things like Pelucranos <laughs> and Shevel and um, like just getting value that way, and then it was yeah insane. Play we played Elder Gargaroth in that deck too, and we just like dome people for six, like it was dumb. It was incredibly powerful, so I'm very excited to work with uh, with Nissa and and Terror uh, in this upcoming standard. So, yeah, very cool. All right, John, it's what's your pop. third and um, final card? Uh, my third and final card, which is number one, I can't wait to play with this, is Seagate Stormcaller. Seagate Stormcaller, one blue, one colorless, human wizard, kicker five, or kicker four, and one blue. When Seagate Stormcaller enters the battlefield, copy the next instant or sorcery spell with converted mana cost two or less. Cast this turn when you cast it. If Seagate Stormcaller was kicked, copy that spell twice instead. You may choose new targets for the copies. This creature is a 2-1. This card is probably one of the best cards in the set, and I'm calling it now. Um, More so for Historic than Standard, but Standard even getting a uh a copied opt is more than good enough um i was trying to build a kicker control deck but there's not enough kicker spells in blue and black so um this goes very well with the new i won't say it's comparable to fatal push in blood chief's thirst uh you can copy into the royal you can copy unsubstantiate you can copy all sorts of spells, either in blue-red or blue-black. I'm looking at this more in Historic as kind of like your comparable to... This This card is not Snapcaster Mage. Um, this is worse than Snapcaster Mage. But you get to copy virtually the best spells that are used in Historic right now, namely Thoughtseize. So... And the mana's better, so you can play more than just blue-black. You can play Grixis colors, you can play uh, Esper colors, you can play Sultai colors, and, you know, copy Growth Spirals, copy Explorers, 
copy eliminates uh copy agonizing remorses so yeah casting double spells for on turn four is not the greatest however you're able to get the same amount of value in the fact that you're copying a two mana spell which essentially is four mana and instead of drawing an extra card you get to essentially get that second card already cast for you for free so it's kind of like playing cascade except you're getting the same spell when you cascade um and it's also a creature so and it's a wizard which anybody who's playing with party mechanics that'll matter uh i'm more looking at this in historic than standard but don't sleep on this in, in standard in being able to play in a blue red shell with ops and the new uh uh lava coil that deals four damage to target creature or uh or planeswalker and it, it costs two i'm looking for it i should have looked this up beforehand um sizzling barrage or nope that's not it i'm li I, I lied uh where is it it's here somewhere um so you you have a lot of play with it and more so in in historic than standard but uh it's one of my favorites to to brew with and being able to 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 copy a bunch of kill spells and draw spells like frantic inventory and all that more of a sorcery creature than an instant but to not play instants is not allowing you or not allowing the most play with it so uh what do you guys think about uh, seagate stormcaller i love the code honestly like you said everything i would want to say about the card um I think, do we have Cathartic Reunion still in standard? Yes, we do. Okay, so that's four mana, draw six. That's huge. Village rights, draw four. And you yeah. sack the Seagate Stormcaller, and you don't and you don't have to sack again. So you're drawing four cards for two. Uh, Thundering Rebuke was the card. The two mana sorcery, deal four. Uh, to target creature or Planeswalker. Yeah, or like if you have a... Like you could probably play like a blue-black. Maybe not. Maybe playing like blue black maybe a third color and you play like the uh one one for one that if it leaves your graveyard it becomes a alongside some of these sacrifice value cards archfiend vessel thank you yes yeah this, but, is, this like, one's interesting really interesting i'm trying to think of like i think i think you pretty much nailed it right on the head with like kind of it's it's the most powerful utility that it can bring is like doubling up thought seizes doubling up lemonade or heartless act would be kind of nice um, claim the firstborn claim the firstborn would be kind of insane it's <laughs> not even nice got that card um <laughs> yeah so i mean there's definitely a lot of utility i i'm i'm hesitant to say six mana or sorry seven mana to cast at best four mana extra worth of spells is a lot but i guess if you think about it it's, it's way too much i don't think lot. the kicker is going to be like there's not very many two mana spells that you want to kick to draw. Like, say for example, you got to pay eight mana to draw three off of opt. Like, th is that going to win you the game? I don't think so. so um, I mean, I'm for what more, it's worth, I mean, it, yeah, it can be a good late game card, right? It, it can if you're if you're ripping this off the top uh, with a when you're hellbent, right? Like, most likely this is a card that can you know can can help stabilize you. Um, being able to like again, like we were saying, bring back a couple pieces of removal to stabilize the board. Um, maybe there's some something in 
quite that makes sense maybe raise the alarm like bringing back and playing two raise the alarms to stabilize the board that way like there's i don't know if that necessarily this would go in that particular deck but it is there is something kind of interesting to think about that and i think if you're playing a deck where their party mechanic is is relevant um then maybe maybe that maybe actually there is because like raise the alarm makes what's they make soldiers right yes okay and i mean so maybe there's some instance where there's a spell that makes a thing that you want to cast or that's going to like help contribute towards party um or something like like maybe that, that makes some some kind of sense um but yeah i mean this is definitely interesting one thing that actually that i did think about that or that i didn't think about that this is actually pretty good in if you were to play um winota right like it's a human <laughs> It's a human um, that you can get and and bring into put into play, um, and I mean you're probably not playing too many instants and sorceries, but you might have some like you know cheap removal to like a like a shock or something like that to be able to you know clear the way for your blockers. Maybe that's a reasonable uh, you know reasonable use case for this, but um, yeah, it, it's it, it can be. I think it, it just on its face is. It, Two mana. Yeah, really, I can't. I can't wait. Great. I can't wait to minute. That's great. I wish it was three. Converted mana cost three. Oh, but, yeah, that'd be insane though. Um, I think it's fine at two, and then you can still play kick spells with it. So, Blood Chief's Thirst, you're able to kick the spell at six. Cast this. Cast the kick spell, and then you're getting, um, you're getting that value. You can yeah. also kick into the royal, bounce your own Seagate Stormcaller with the copy. Draw a card. And then draw cards, and then and then have it back in your hand, or just use uh, Baron to reset it. Draw a card. I mean, there's there's so many things you can do with it that I'm like, I understand it's a mid range type of strategy, more controlling, but there's there's no way that this card doesn't see play in that you're able to, you know, copy so many good one and two mana spells that is it's it's so it's like playing adventures also. Yeah. But you're getting double the adventures, so um, I don't know. I'm I'm I just can't wait to play with it. So yeah, yeah. This is a really exciting one. Um, now my third card, I had initially had one. I was initially, I think I was going to say, um, a rogue, uh, fury of a coom, oh, uh, because that you know taking more combats is kind of dope, uh, and kind of powerful. And then I was looking through, and then I saw Null Priest of Oblivion, and that also seemed really, really powerful for, like, six mana reanimate a thing. Seems really, really good. But then I scrolled down a little bit further, and I found Valakut Exploration. Uh, so Valakut Exploration, two and a red for an enchantment landfall. When a land enters the battlefield in your control, exile the top card of your library. You may play that card for as long as it remains exiled. Okay, cool. Um, at the beginning of your end step, if there are cards exiled with Valakut Exploration, put them into their owner's graveyard. Then Valakut Exploration deals damage or that much damage to each opponent. So if you're if you are playing this, it's kind of like it's it's the Valakut land kind of in a in a sense um, where it's it's directly dealing damage to an opponent. But if you can find ways to ramp and to throw multiple lands into play. Um, Maybe there's some some kind of like team or strategy or something that's like you're just ramping in, and mainly probably in historic, but like you're just ramping super hard 
uh, just throwing a, t- a ton of lands into play. You're playing like 31, 32 lands or something like that. And just you dome your opponent for, you know, 10 or something and close the game out that way or something crazy, right? Like, this feels like there's there's a lot of payoff for just wanting to ramp. Uh, and in Historic, there's a lot of opportunity for that. So I'm kind of intrigued by this card i at first at least i first had misread this card and thought it was uh deal damage equal to the cmc of the exiled cards uh to an opponent which would be insane because i think then then that slots into like big red uh which i love big red but i still think that there's a lot of cool potential with this one um it might be more of like a tier 2.5 strategy i mean who knows uh if there's something really powerful um that can be done here i guess we'll have to see how how hard you can how hard you can ramp in one turn and how consistently can you follow up ramp ramp and follow up i mean i guess if you have two of these things right like um the trick like let's see their cards exiled so i guess no no so these these you you don't even want multiples it's actually thinking about it now because the way that it's worded because it will they'll both trigger one will resolve and then it doesn't it'll check the number of exiled cards getting put into your graveyard as a resolve so the first one will resolve and then you don't put anything in the second one. So you really just only want one of these in play. But like if you can just ramp super hard, like this could be a very consistent like bam 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 just like three shot your opponent. I'm pretty sure they stack the you way it's forwarded. So? I think they stack because you're exiling them individually. Right? Oh, yeah. okay. Oh. These cards would be connected to a specific value. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. It's kind okay. of like it's yeah, kind yeah. of like if you were They're using, separate instances. say, bag of holding or They're any card that's underneath the individual value. Correct. So okay, so then yes, yeah, so then then you do want multiples of these. If you if you jam you know two or three of these in play, start ramping out like crazy and just get up like four or five lands into play in a turn somehow, uh, like that, and then you're exiling a whole bunch of your deck. Okay, cool. Now everything gets put in your graveyard, and then you dome your opponent for a million, right? Like, I think that there might be something cool here, but so I'll definitely have to look into into how how we're gonna abuse this thing, uh, as well. I mean, it, it, this is it. It, it kind of brings. I I played Valakut back in Originals Endicar, so this kind of has like a very special place. Uh, like this kind of like Valakut effect is like very very special to me. I really love that kind of stuff. So very very exciting here. I don't know. Any other thoughts on this one? Um, I got nothing on this specifically, but um, I misread this card initially. It's amazing what happens when you read cards, and then when it's actually said aloud, it changes the whole dynamic of the card. <laughs> um, I didn't know or didn't realize that it said put them into the owner's graveyard. So... Yeah. Um, let's imagine for a moment that you're playing a, you know, I don't know, half your deck is spell lands. Mm -hmm. So, and you find a way to, you know, play lands from your graveyard. Me and Braxton were talking about this earlier where, uh, he was talking about Nahiri's lithoforming. And I realized that you draw those cards and you get to play lands, right? So let's let's imagine that you Nahiri's lithoforming, and you sack say two or three cards, or two or three lands. You draw two or three, and then you have Crucible of Worlds replay those lands, because that's what the card says. So you essentially just drew three cards and ramp back to where you wanted, 
or you have and then you have Valakut exploration where you're doing even more stuff yeah you don't get to play them but if they're spell lands they go back to your graveyard you just domed your opponent for six on like turn three or four and then you get to play those lands again and if you're playing green with you know azusa or any type of um you know play extra lands um yeah, that's pretty good. You, I forgot about Azusa. I forgot that we had that in the format. That's you also sweet. have Song of Creation. Uh, so you have ways to, you know, if the cards if the cards get discarded, you know, you get to play the lands anyway. Then you get the reads. There is way too much play in the combo potential of the graveyard and this and this specifically. And you don't even care if the stuff goes in the graveyard, but uh there's a deck there with just cheating with um with nahiri's lithoforming and crucible worlds and valakut's exploration which can go in the deck you can play a mono red version you can play a teamer you can play green red um you probably want to play green red with some spell lands uh with azusa yeah but i'm yeah i stopped caring about i stopped caring about the the standard applications after like how good Crucible is going to be in Historic specifically, and older formats, by the way. And if anybody plays like Modern or Pioneer, th- this th- this set is better than people think it is. So I just, oh boy, I can't wait. So yeah, definitely. Um, cool. So the last thing we're going to talk about here is Zendikar Rising, and this was something we mentioned earlier in the when we were in our discussion was talking about how good the mana is going to be. So the flip, these flip lands are. Um, very strong. Uh, definitely ones where there are, um, it's going to allow you to play a lot more efficient or, or a lot more complex mana bases and a lot more, um, like splashing for fourth colors instead of splashing for colors. We're now splashing for fourth. So, like, as an example, like, let's look at the, um, let's go back to that Nissa Jund splashing blue kind of like style deck that we were talking about. So the lands, there are three lands here that lend themselves to um, being able to do something like that. River, River Glide Pathway, Clearwater Pathway, and Crag, uh, Crag Crown Pathway. All three of these have those colors in them, and you can, with these lands, you can choose which side you want to play. Um, so, you know, if you need to, say, cast your Uro on three, you can, you know, instead of playing the... The red side you're playing the blue side okay cool now i have my i have my blue source to be able to then go okay cool let's let's jam uro play another one of these things and now you set up yourself for four colors you get to go in nissa so there's i think i think that this is opening up a lot of opportunity um and i know john you were mentioning earlier about playing these lands uh playing these lands in other like less uh, color intensive strategies just to be able to say splash for other things um, so I guess what do you guys what do you guys think about some of about these particular lands? These lands are what the flip or the uh, the fetch lands were supposed to be, but these lands are better than people think they are. Um, these are comparable to fast lands in that they are not as good as shocks or real do lands or fetch lands, but they're pretty they're above average, um, especially when paired with shocks. I'm looking at this application for historic more than standard, but these 
these lands in standard are are just as good they allow you to play two color combinations with and that was the intention when they made these so for example the uh clear water pathway and the black side or the dark side murk water pathway allows you to play blue black rogues and you don't feel bad about it because you have an untapped source however in historic um your two color combinations that are aggro and i'll just use gruel as an example we all know so many times in standard especially even the standard that just happened um where the mana was so bad and you had to make concessions where up oh, well my mana is too bad because i can't play a turn one red or green one drop consistently or i have the mana but i can't play my pell collector on turn one or my adventure love struck beast on turn one because i have you know fable passage and a temple in my hand well with these lands in historic specifically you can play just 20 lands and that would be four flip lands four shocks and then six forests and six mountains and you have four untapped red and green sources with 20 lands you don't have to worry about playing nonsense like fable passage and temples anymore and then if you want 17 green sources and red sources for your double colored you know uh we'll just say the uh double green spell creature from zendikar the new one uh Kazandu Monmouth or Mammoth, that's two green, one colorless. You need to cast your spells or cast it if you're playing four of them, 17 untapped green sources on turn three. Well, with six, four, six mountains, four flip lands, four shocks, and three check lands, you will have that and you don't have to make any concessions when you're playing Gruel. Your mana is good enough and you're able to play. And this is just in for Gruel, I'm just using it as an example. Uh, where your mana doesn't isn't trash and you don't have to play as many and you can play 23, 24 lands and have all of the sources you need and you don't have to make concessions. That's how good these lands are. Yeah, that's it's pretty insane. Like I'm 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 so I'm curious as to why Wizards decided they wanted to particularly print these because I feel like I've, and I've heard this multiple times. They said that they would never print a strictly better basic land, but basically that's what these are. These are just strictly better basics um, to an extent. I mean, like, they don't have, like, the basic land typing, which I guess is kind of their balance, but, like, these are effectively in, in a format where you don't really have, you know, multiple fetch lands to be, you know, digging up lands anyways. Like, this is... These are just strictly better basic lands. And at the same time, like, they were... Wizards back in the cons block um, when they reprinted the ally fetch lands, um, like they were saying, Wizards was like their their big thing was that the mana was too good. There was too many homogenous um, deck archetypes. Everything was four colors or five colors, and they didn't really like that. And I feel like this just is this is just enabling more of that to happen in these upcoming you know in this either upcoming standard or even this upcoming historic like you know format um like or even like let's let's go back even a little further things like where um you know pioneer talk about modern like these lands 
and maybe maybe because they're not fetchable and that maybe that's reason enough to not like that that it may keep some of that in check um for some of some things like modern um and 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 back but like these these just feel way powerful like there's there are some reasons to not play or to play these basically over most of your basic lands or a lot of your basic lands um but like it's in in this kind of particular format especially for something like standard like there's very little reason to play to not play these uh over over just standard basics like i guess like what uh field of ruin is maybe like one of the only reasons that you're maybe or or if you're playing fabled passage maybe is the reason why you're playing you know basics but even then like decks three color decks were playing very few basics even to begin with in the first place right so it's like you know, th- th- this is just feels like they're wanting like this is going to homogenize the format a little bit, but I'm, I'm I don't know. We'll have to see how that how that plays out. I think the fact that they they don't have basic land types is is a big deal. Maybe not yeah. initially, but uh, the triumphs have basic land types. These don't, mm-hmm. so um, they're not strictly better basics in that in that aspect, but they're pretty close. Although. The fact that these are not fetchable or they're not fetch lands and you can't just search up and go, oh, I want Clearwater Pathway, but I need a black source. You can't do that. You have to actually have it in your hand or in the graveyard and have something that allows you to play it from the graveyard. So I think they're fine. I think these are what they were supposed like. This is what the original Zendikar fetch land should have been. Um, And I think that these will, these are more balanced than... You know, because you're given a choice. These don't produce both colors. You have to choose them. So that's also a balance on, you know, on their part. So you're not going to have a Boros land and then be like, oh, I always am going to produce red with it. No, you won't because you have to choose. So, um, but the fact that they're untapped because you need them for standard because there's no other untapped duel or quote unquote duel. Yeah. These are it. Yeah. So uh you gotta have them and these are as close as you're gonna get to not shocks and not original duels or fetch lands and that's why i said these these also fill a role that that other lands didn't so like these are more aggro slanted than say the fast lands are the fast lands are more mid-range slanted because as, as you play more lands and you draw those in the fourth fifth sixth seventh turn these come into play tapped uh the flip lands don't and these only care about the first three turns do i play these on the front side of the back um mid-range doesn't want these like the ramp strategies might not want as many of these as as others because there's not a lot of green and they're missing the most important one which is the blue green yep so uh honestly the ramp strategies that i've looked into list wise um are playing you know, eight triomes, and that's the end of it. And some fable passages and some basics. Uh, I don't want to play with flip lands because I want all of my lands to produce the colors that I want. And the flip lands, while they can produce any color I want, they won't always produce the color that I want. Uh, the aggro strategies don't care because they're playing a crap ton of basics, and then they have these to filter out their other two color strategies when they're already playing um you know temples and fable passages and you know stuff like that but in historic specifically you don't have to do that anymore 
all your lands come into play on tap if you're playing aggro, which is what you want. And yeah. you're going to see a lot more, uh, a lot less like Sultai mid range where they're playing four main deck, uh, where they're playing four main deck pact negation. I foresee that being, uh, that's going to stop real quick uh, because Gruel is going to be too good at going uh, turn one, turn two, turn three, cast You're Embercleave. Dead. You're dead. Like you, you can't do anything, even if you get thought seized uh it because the the, the mana is too good so you're gonna have to make some concessions where aggro is gonna actually be good and they're always gonna have a turn one untapped land to cast their stuff and enough sources to cast any stuff whether it be turn one akum hellhound or turn one pell collector or turn one lanowar elf or you know turn one anything so these lands make historic a lot better in the set. Aggro needs to be good, and right now the only good aggro deck in, stand, in historic right now is goblins, and yeah. it's a combo kill deck. So uh, we're looking to have Gruul and Mono Green and Green 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 White, like all the all the two color aggro decks get a lot better with these lands, mm -hmm. which are more important than any other uh, anything other than the set. So also wonder too like think if you think about it too i wonder if like the saltai decks kind of shift away they shift away from things like that to more like more individualized removal um or or more like blanket removal type things so like they're playing clearwater pathways and maybe they're playing things that are like they're playing languishes they're playing um cry of the carnarium and then like these are these are technically fetchable by our promise which can fix you for things like um but they, they only can... get the front side oh i guess that's true you you only get the front side with that yeah um that's fair yeah well i yeah i mean these are these are definitely going to be players expect to save save up for uh your wild cards for uh for these lands cuz you're going to need them they're very powerful nah. 250 gem 225000 gems i'm good 250 bucks <laughs> i'm good <laughs> um so yeah so uh yeah, expect to see these. Well, cool. so any last thoughts on Zendikar Rising? I'm excited. I'm pumped. Cool. Um, <laughs> so as one thing to note here, uh, I know that for... Um, so release for this is on Thursday. Uh, Wednesday is the early access event. I know I'm participating in that. I believe Shinogi is going to be potentially participating in that. He may not be streaming it. Um, since I think he does have like school and stuff, um, and potentially work, but, um, he might stream it a little bit later in the evening. Um, I'm probably going to be streaming it throughout the day. Um, and, and there will be others. We'll, we'll, we'll get a full schedule of everybody who's participating in those. Um, you know, you can drop by, check out the streams for those. Uh, so, uh, any recommendations on decks you want to see played or cards you want to see built around, um, throw those on the Twitter, drop them in the comments below. We'll, we'll make the, that happen on, uh, on those streams on Wednesday. Cool. Next thing here we're going to move into is Mythic Invitational happening this weekend um, and Mythic, uh, the Zendikar Rising Qualifier Weekend happening now. Uh, and so we will want to, we want to touch on this because uh, it's very, very important for the historic format as we, you know, John and I both really heavily play historic. Braxton, he plays both um, as well. Um, but I think this is very important for the health of the format to understand where we're at and what's potentially coming up here. Uh, and there's a lot of cards that, or there's a few cards that people have been calling for bans for, um, kind of very early or kind of for a little while now. Uh, and I think that having these mythic invitational numbers kind of help solidify 
uh, those cries for action from wizards. So let's kind of break it down here. So first off, today or so yesterday, the tenth, or sorry, the tenth invitational. Like, or why do they? Oh, I don't know why they put it for the why it shows the date as the tenth, uh, unless those were. Unless those were actually the days of the Invitational, and I'm just blanking. I thought that those were on the weekends, but um, we have both of the kind of the, the lists and the metagame breakdowns for the Invitational. So the first day, day one, uh, Goblins, Mono Red Goblins was the 33%, almost 34% of the field. Uh, with there was another Mono or Black Red Goblins. Where is that? Is that on here? Why is that not on here? Rakdos Goblins. Am I missing it? What are you looking at? Uh, I'm looking at the MTG Goldfish page there um, for showing all the deck lists for... I guess maybe not. Maybe. I don't... Maybe... Either... Sacrifice, Band Control, Salt... What is this other category? Jun. There should be... Rakdos... This it wasn't that. That's really weird. I don't know. That's like the, if you that's look the over on the deck. side. If you look over on the side page, like when you see the individual decks, you can find like Rakdos Goblins, for example. I don't think it's on the metagame summary, which is weird. Yeah, that is really weird. Um. So well, the 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 meta breakdown that they posted on the Twitter between Mono Red and Rakdos Goblins effectively was about fifty percent of the field. Maybe a little bit more. Sultai midrange coming up next, and sacrifice being a uh, short, you know, very close behind that as well. Um, so the de- the cards that people have been calling for bans for Muxus, Uro, um, and then even things like claim the firstborn were in the conversation um, as well. And so with kind of seeing some of these results, and I think actually here's 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 the. Um, this was a, a graphic that was shown here. The day one um, number of players, overall win percentages and records, and then as well as the day two conversion rates. Um, what do you guys What do you guys think about this kind of overall? Uh, do you think that these call for for particular bands are justified and warranted, uh, or are we? Uh, do you Do you expect any sort of action to come from any of these um, from Wizards on any of this, or? Um, Do you want to start, John? Go, uh, well, uh, I know you good, guys play more historic than me. I split my. I time. am, I'm old school, man. I don't like bands unless, like, I've a little bit of context. I've been playing since the dark, so I've seen some standards that, you know, are just completely busted. Combo winner, Necro Summer, um. You know the the affinity age with skull clamp those are standards that are so busted that you have to take action um sure you have cards that are really just over the top that are just better than others uh wilderness reclamation to fairy time raveler and stuff like that i even argue that to fairy time raveler should have never been printed and it should have saw the band hammer way before it took two cards with it uh, Agent of Treachery and Fires of Invention, but um, I'm I don't think anything needs to be banned in Historic. 
yet. And if there is a card that needs to go, um, it's Phyrexian Tower. But I'm not sure that that's even even close, considering that more than half the decks in the field in the in the Invitational were playing some form of Phyrexian Tower, uh, because that card's way too good, and there's a reason why it's it's whatever. Uh, there's a reason why a lot of decks are playing it because it allows you to not sacrifice much to get an extra ramp an extra ramp spell for a land. So Uro's fine. You can see on the win percentage for day one, Monterey Goblins is better than Rakdos Goblins in that its win percentage is just barely over 50%. Rakdos Goblins is just shy of 41 or just over 41%. So um, we can put the Muxus thing a bit. And the thing is, is like even though the win percentages, which is what Watsi says is their big deal or what they use, um, Field of the Dead was like a 50 to 53 per win percentage of a deck, and they banned it anyways. So the win percentage doesn't really mean much. And you have Sultai Midrange, where it had a good conversion rate of 66%, but that's average, right? The best performing deck that put the most people in by percentage is Mono Black Gifts. And the deck that had the highest win percentage on day one, outside of the three players that were playing it in uh, Rakdos Sacrifice, which were only two of them, and uh, Jun Citadel, which were three players that were on it, uh, Rakdos Arcanist was probably one of the best performing decks in there, and they only had five players on it. Jun Sacrifice had a 53% win rate, put 54% of the players in day two, and Rakdos Goblins probably had the worst day. Band Control, also an Euro deck. And Sultan Midrange was average. So the metagame is, is balanced. Um, but the only card that has been ubiquitous or close to it has been uh, Phyrexian Tower. And Thoughtseize, which we already knew. So I don't think there's going to be any bans. And if there are going to be any, it should be... If they're going to have any card that's even close to it, Phyrexian Tower would fit the bill. But there is no deck that is like so far and away the best that is being played as a four of or a three of. It's usually a two of. So, um, yeah. But that's where I am with it. Yeah, I think I think that. Uh, I guess Braxton, what about do you? Have any any thoughts on that? Looking over some stuff, I am going to agree to disagree, John. Um, Yes, like there are some numbers that are uh like low, like you know, I think like there's more to look at with these like win percentages, you know, um a big one they use that's not always like shown is uh uh game one win percentage. I know that's huge in bands and they don't necessarily show that right now. I don't I don't know where you have to look to find those kinds of numbers, but I know that's huge on bannings. Um, I think when... Yeah, they look at uh, not just win rates, but that's a big part. They also look at matchup percentages and... Yeah. Uh, but they usually use MTGO results because Arena is just... Uh, they don't... They weren't using... They, they were... Correct. They were using... They were using multiple... Uh, 
different metrics for it, but they also take into account, you know, the, the type of gameplay, like the reasoning for banning uh, Cauldron Familiar and Field got the same treatment where it's like it makes for bad gameplay or frustrating gameplay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not that Field was too good. It's just that it's it polarizes the format way too much. So, yeah, it was free value, which free correct. is not something they free value is something they've been trying to get away from. Um, but like I I know like and this was more when they were having paper events because it was easier to judge paper events. Um, it was match match win percent game ones uh, percent of metas. Mat specific matchups, like if there wasn't a chance a deck had, because there have been decks like the. I'm gonna go back to the first deck I played that got banned, which was way back uh, Copycat, in Standard with Felgar, Guardian and Sahili. Um, that deck had, I don't think there was a deck that beat it, that had a winning percentage against that deck. So like that's something to look at. Um. Like I said, that some of that information is hard to find at times. Um, if I'm saying a card to get banned, I'm going to go with the one the one ban that nerfs a an archetype without killing it, and that's Muxus. Um, I think Goblins is a good deck and a totally reasonable deck when Cranko is your payoff in the deck. I think what Muxus does is just too much. Um, just and six man is too easy. Uh, even without Phyrexian Tower, before I put it in the deck, I was I consistently I could consistently turn three Muxus in the Goblins deck. So I think I think that's my card to go because then the Goblins deck is a Cranko based deck, which is more akin to older formats. Goblins pre Muxus and I think that's a spot I would want to be in is just this get Muxus out, let it be a traditional goblins deck, see if it's still good. Yeah, I I, I think I'm in in agreement with you, Braxton, on this one too. So I and I, I my reasoning behind it is so so aside from all the metrics that they look at like this is we have to think about too this is historic where the they don't necessarily have different data points to pull from they're strictly pulling from arena um and with a major event like this um they definitely polarize a lot of their decision making behind major events um but they also have to you know they look at things like those like all of those metrics but they look at it through the ladder um, whether or not that that's a good metric or not, or a good source for those metrics, um, is up for debate, but I think, but that's kind of the only source that they really have at this point for historic. And I, I, I go back to think about the, the, if Winota was too broken for this format, then Muxus is too good for this format. If Winota had a much higher up ch- upside to to whiff, because you were limited, you you needed to meet two conditions to make it work, right? You needed to have a non-human attacking to be able to then get a human from the deck. Muxus just comes into play and just grabs all your goblins, so you're already incentivized to play goblins because it's a tribal deck. It's just what it is. 
So Muxus being a card that does Winota, but you know, way better than Winota ever did, um, is something that I think it, that's a, the, a reason for it to go. Um, and and we take a look at things like Collected Company, for example. Like Collected Company, while it's powerful, we the creatures that we have in in Historic right now are not quite as strong. Where Collected Company becomes busted, right? It's powerful, but it's not insanely busted. And you can, you, I guess, in the counterpoint, you can make the argument that, that there are cards to hate on things like goblins and, or to hate on Muxus, to hate on things like uh, Collected Company, and even to get to an extent, hate on things like Uro, hate on things like John Sacrifice, in um, things like Graft Digger's Cage and Rest in Peace. And um, while that's true, um, I, it, I, 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 I hedged. I, I I think that it's not healthy, where it's not a health. It's not healthy for a format to have, um, and especially one that is a non-rotating format, right? Um, I don't think that it's healthy to have uh, dedicated sideboard slots that are basically in every single deck to hedge against a particular strategy. Uh, and while maybe banning Muxus doesn't quite necessarily change that, uh, you could definitely get around. A lot of that, um, a lot of the play from some of those other strategies with other cards, um, Bajuka Bog to deal with the graveyard um, stuff. Uh, you can uh, you can just play removal, and most of the time the collected company decks are, you know, either they're they're, you know, not probably not killing you right on the turn. They're just collected company for value, um, playing in the mono mono green collected company. Um, there's very rarely a time where you were just killing them straight out with collected, collected company. I shouldn't say rarely, but it, there's there were definitely times where you just collected company for value to just either stabilize a board or to build a board presence. Just playing some amount of removal. Um, and one thing that we did that is noted here was that white card people who registered white spells did not do very well in this event. Uh, generally looking, it, it, it was a very heavily favored... Um, you know, literally the rest of the other colors, blue, black, green, red, all were high, more highly favored than any deck playing white. Why is that? I don't know. The I mean, maybe not good. white, I mean, yeah, well, there's a lot of not really great cards in white for, for kind of what the, the meta is calling for right now. And I think that that is something that needs to, you know, needs to kind of be addressed for the kind of the health of the format. Like, um, while yes, there's a a decent amount of you know variation, I guess in in some of the in the in the meta, I guess you could say, it's still something where like I don't want to feel shoehorned into particularly playing a couple of different decks, and I don't want to feel shoehorned into playing a couple of of sideboard answers to deal with uh, a deck uh, a particular strategy. So I you know that's that's my my take for it. I think I think that. We'll have to see how the format shakes up after Zendikar Rising comes, whether or not Saltai or Uro becomes a little bit too strong with inclusions like Lotus Cobra and, and whatnot. Um, but I think that, yeah, at the very, very least, Muxus does, I think, needs to go. Um, and especially now that we're at a point where Jumpstart is no longer available on Historic or on Arena uh, for purchase or to play. Uh, you can't necessarily acquire the card through packs anymore. So it is something that 
you can probably so safe safely at the very minimum and this and this is the beauty of this format is they suspend it right suspend muxus see how the format changes and see how it shapes up Braxton, you, and, and and i you know this is something we can concur with i can i can you know echo the goblins is just a good curve out aggro deck right like they have very powerful lords multiple haste enablers cranko at the top end like it's still very powerful it's still very strong um but just kind of muxus pushes it at least when when you're playing against it feels like it pushes it so far out of a uh, out of contention for anything you know reasonable um you know to play against that it just doesn't feel very good um at least from i th I think from my perspective at least and i think from a lot of people's perspective too i don't know we'll have to see it's definitely interesting i think that it also like how how dominant the or like not necessarily dominant but like how many people were registering the deck um going into the event uh is is something to, to consider like just metagame percentage um is is one of the metrics that they reference in their bnr so that is a thing to think about too for them uh, they're gonna end up doing something with this but yeah we'll have to see um otherwise we're we are still waiting for the zendikar qualifiers uh qualifier weekend to kind of wrap up here as well too we'll talk about that next week um if they have some metrics behind some of that stuff um who did well and whatnot uh and we also i guess still have the top eight for the invitational i guess um for day one and day two still kind of like happening um potentially so like there's a lot to to still cover around this so we'll have to see kind of how this shapes up but hopefully we'll we'll see something come up soon from from wizards and if they decide to not do anything i hope hopefully there's a a real justifiable reason behind it but you know we'll see well, uh, last thing here that we want to cover is our announcement of the first 10th Street Tournament Series opener event um, over here on MTG Melee. Braxton, you want to take it away with this one? Before you go in, I oh. apologize, but sure. I have to I have to actually jump out of here. So okay. um, I I apologize, earlier, but it went a little longer than expected. So but I have to actually go. So Yeah, that's no worries. Uh, no yeah, worries, man. I appreciate it, but. And can't wait for Zendikar, and uh, I'm going to wait and see a different approach on it. If they ban it, suspend it, whatever. So, yep. all right. All right. Later, John. Yep, later. Have a good day, man. All right. So, yeah, Braxton, you want to take this one away? Absolutely. I can do that. Um, so, this is something that we've been looking to do for a while, and I'm pumped to kind of lead it alongside Dragosi for sure. Um, opening event for us. Um, had I looked ahead a little bit better and realized things, I would not have put it to poll because I, when I put the poll up and had everyone vote, I forgot that the 19th, which this event is running, uh, is the first weekend for Zendikar on Arena. Um, I would have made it standard, but wanted to stick to what I said. I said, I said that Twitter would get to decide what we played we're playing historic uh hopefully some of these cards make it uh i mean this event's going to be fairly i'll say stock uh going to be looking at you know if you've played in an event before you've this is going to look very similar uh we're going to have uh round robin based on how many people we have we are going to do a quick cut to top something top 4 top 8 whatever it looks like based on how many people we have. Um, but 
what's really cool is our we're getting even though this is free we do have small prize support correct dragosi yeah so um just real quick question correction the it's swiss instead of round robin um so we're swiss yeah yeah, yeah. swiss it's swiss for the beginning rounds and then depending if say like we have 16 people we'll cut to top four um if we have 32 people we'll cut to top eight etc right um but yes we are so it is a free event this one is uh and then we are going to have prize support sponsored by uh, like i mentioned at the top of the show uh he games uh they're again like i mentioned our local game store here and the way our our, our prize structure is going to be is that it's going to be one person one pack of zendikar rising per person into the prize pool and then we'll pay out to top um to top placement um depending on again on the number of people um and we will be shipping those um packs directly to you uh and if you you know what we'll probably end up doing is we'll just we'll we'll make a video around it we'll kind of show us doing the box opening and all that stuff and um and promote it a bit here too but yeah we'll we'll, we're going to be shipping out these packs to to the winners so um yeah yeah i'm i'm looking forward to it uh in the future um i think i'm gonna say it now and it'll be on the on the podcast and i'll be posting about it the next event we play is uh, October 3rd, looking at the calendar. We're going to play the first week of October. So October 3rd is going to be next event. And because of Zendikar and I, and the, the fact that I didn't do it this week, I am going to right now lock in new standard for October 3rd. Just so we can see what that looks like. Have a little fun with that. Um, yep while still allowing you guys to play the event that we let you vote on this week. Um, but the tournament is currently up. You can go register for it. Uh, all we're asking of you guys is obviously the arena and discord, because we will be announcing everything through discord. So I yeah. think that's just the easiest way for us. We're going to have it, have a discord link for you guys to come join uh anyone who's interested and joins let as many people as you know know that we are playing uh the more people more prizes more prizes more fun and more people more fun for that matter yep um and for uh for what it's worth so we did mention that this first event is going to be free um for everybody to to sign up and join uh for and you're all going to be eligible to get those prizes um visit if you visit the mtg tournament uh, mtg melee tournament page there is a link for the discord our patreon as well as our twitter up on here as well too so you guys can definitely come in and check that out but all the rules um around you know deckless submissions and check-ins how pairings are done and, and how you play out your matches things like that as well as our schedule um is going to be on here i will touch on uh that the Tournament registration will end at 10 a.m. the day of the event. Deckless submissions need to be in by 10.30 CST, so the uh, half hour later they need to be in. Check-in for the tournament will start at 11 a.m. and run until 11.45, um, and this is all Central Standard Time. Um, and then the tournament will start at noon Central Standard Time on Saturday. Um, so be you know if you are interested in, in registering and signing up for this event, definitely come in, get your... Um, you know, get your registration in early and then you have some time to get some deck lists submitted, but get those in submitted, you know, early as well too, uh, just to make sure that, you know, you're, you're set and locked in and all you have to worry about is checking in on the day of the event. Um, 
otherwise uh, we are going to be streaming the event uh we are going to be doing feature matches um so you're going to need to be in the discord for that and and able to share your screen with us so that we can uh stream it to our twitch uh and and promote that um and then kind of the last thing here to notate that we uh you know to help us move along and and you know either you know providing better content providing more tournaments and better prize support and things like that um future events are going to require a patreon subscription of the five dollar tier or higher so we can actually take a quick look at that here so here's our patreon um, we have a bunch of different levels there is the one dollar tier for just generalized support but five dollar tier or higher is going to get you into the tournament um now, I think that we may need to change up a little bit of this because if we're going to do two constructed events every month, we might have to say the $5 tier gets you into one of those events. Um, and then the the paid, the $10 tier will get you into both of the events. Um, so we might have to, to work on that one a little bit. But, um, you know, you have to very bare minimum subscribe at the $5 tier to get into one of the events going forward. Um, and that's just, again, to just help us, you know, with all the costs of running the event, you know, shipping costs and 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 um you know paying for other various things uh to go along with the tournament so um that's just going to be something going forward uh but either way it this does really again help all of us here at 10th street journal help uh you know keep the lights on keep things running smoothly and you know making better content and pushing out better tournaments and stuff for you guys so um just keep that in mind if you get your patreon subscriptions in and you're still in like if you subscribe this month um you know then you'll uh, you'll be able to get in. I think actually, I think Patreon does their subscriptions on uh, literally on a, a calendar month basis. So if you subscribe to our Patreon today, let's say like you join for the five dollar tier today, um, you're gonna be charged five dollars the day you sign up, but then you'll be charged another five dollars come October first, and that will get you into the the one of the October tournaments. Um, but we'll we'll give you some more clarity kind of around that as we get a little bit closer our initial idea was that we were going to be doing a secondary free tournament that was going to be more casual like a uh, brawl or something like that a singleton format but we may end up just doing two constructed um, events and throw in a, a brawl or casual um, free event every now and again so um, we'll stay tuned for that information we'll get you guys that here as soon as we kind of figure out what we're doing with that one but yeah, so that's our tournament. We're very excited to, to do this um, for you guys. So definitely spread the word. Let everybody know um, what's going on with this uh, and, and sign up, come register. And, you know, we already have a couple people signed up already, which is kind of, which is exciting. So, uh, yeah, let everyone know. Um, as for upcoming stuff for this week, I don't quite know what we're, I think a lot of some of our focus uh, this week for articles and video content is going to be around Zendikar Rising. So just definitely stay tuned for a lot of that stuff. Um, Braxton, anything that I missed here or anything that you want to touch on here real fast? I think you've hit everything. Um, definitely looking forward to just everything coming up, Zendikar tournament. So everything's looking up right now and looking fun. Yep, definitely. Cool. All right. Well, then I think that wraps up the uh, wraps it up for us here today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening to the 10th Street Journal podcast. Drop us a uh, a comment down below. Let us know your thoughts on Zendikar Rising, the Mythic Invitational. What do you think? If should anything be banned in historic? And then you know we'll have a, a link for the MTG Melee page for the tournament down in the description as well. Definitely come hang out, sign up for it, join the Discord, consider subscribing to Patreon. Um, helps us out a whole bunch. Uh, drop a subscription and a like on this video here on the YouTube. 
Otherwise, thank you guys again so much for watching. My name is Alan, also known as Jagosi, and we have Braxton here as well too, uh, and from John who had a B-side a little bit earlier. But thank you guys. We will see you guys in the next one.